Episode 8, Season 2, Talk Soups and CEOs. Got a lot of folks with me today. I got a great panel of our partners, and I've got uh, my incredible colleagues here at IEI coming on. We're talking about last year, we're talking about this coming year, and what we're excited about. So uh, come on in, it's a fun one. back 2021 a new year a new calendar year of course we're in the middle of a school year one of the craziest most challenging school years any of us is ever going to experience as parents as educators as district leaders etc and um can't say enough about how amazing all these people are uh in the iei community and we're so grateful to be um colleagues friends support network, etc. So hope everybody had a really great holiday, whatever holidays you celebrated, great new year. And we're back recharged, ready to rock and roll. We're working hard toward our February 25th, uh, superintendent self-care and leadership development retreat in Las Vegas. And of course, our spring summit at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. And um, the people who are working to put that together are actually here with me today. I'm really excited. We're going to um, talk a little bit with our director of operations, Tiffany Law, and our director of marketing, Sarah Kroll. Hi, guys. Good morning. Hey, Doug. It's good to have you guys on the podcast for the first time. This is a weird first. We, we're used to talking to each other on Zoom. We do this all the time, but um, it's the first time we're recording it. And I wanted to um, because because 2020 was for us at least a year that was really about coming together as a community. I wanted to bring our team together just to talk a little bit about um, what just happened and what we all just did. So um, this episode you're going to hear later on. You're going to hear a really great panel discussion with a few of our close friends and colleagues and partners: Jeff Patterson from Gaggle, Megan Harney from Midas, Berge Akin from Classlink, and Jess Gardner from Aliview. And we're going to have this discussion about what we did well in 2020 um, and uh, what we wish we'd done better. But now that I got Tiffany and Sarah here, let's talk about us a little bit and share with everybody what, I'm curious to hear what, what were your favorite parts of 2020 um, in the IEI world? What did you think we sort of did well? Um, for me, just seeing people come together at events that were kind of scary at first and people were just kind of thinking, is this going to work? Should I take a chance? Am I putting my family at danger by attending this event? But then having everyone come and I think my, my biggest kind of moment that I'll never forget is when one of our superintendents stood up and, and vulnerably said, you know, um, I've cried three times this since school has started. And that's, I, I need you guys. I need the people that, that I'm hanging out with. I need my network of trusted superintendents. I need IEI. And so that just made me feel like all of the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears was worth it. Um, the, the risk of going to the event was worth it. And I'll just never forget that moment. I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Tiffany. Absolutely. You know, when we sat down and tried to figure out how we were going to attack this situation and the pandemic and what we could do to best support our members and the people in our community. I don't think I really understood the gravity of the responsibility in protecting not only us and our children and families, but all of our superintendents and their families as well. And it was so very scary trying to make sure that we were doing everything in our power to protect everybody as much as possible. Cases and cases of Lysol. And uh, there was a moment, so sort of like Sarah said, there was a moment when I realized that all of these folks have put their trust in us to give them the support that they need. We had one member who broke just about everybody in the room down into tears 
so incredibly moving and so glad to be a part of a group that was still doing something and giving them an outlet and a space. I never realized how much all of us needed a space that was safe, that we could all be together and share fear. You know, it's not in our world. Fear is not something we discuss that often. And this is a whole different, you know, ball of wax than we had ever gotten into before. It's uh it's, it's been quite a year. Yeah. And Tiffany, you, you and I are parents, you know, we caring for our kids is, you know, what it's the greatest uh, responsibility in our lives. And then we have to care, bring them through this pandemic, but um, you know, it being a superintendent is different than being a parent, but you know, these guys are caring for thousands of kids um, tens of thousands of kids of kids in some cases. And I, I saw that weight, on them. And I think it was, I saw them appreciate sort of unloading some of that weight on the community when we get together. And that was really great. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't think about the fact that, you know, you may have, you know, I have, I have two children, but I don't have 20,000 children that I'm responsible for. The, The weight of that is amazing. Yeah. And I think as a former educator, I, even though I've worked closely with superintendents for the past three years, I still never really thought of them as having the weight of the world on their shoulders. I always thought that was teachers, principals, and superintendents. They're, they have a big job and it's tough, but there's so many other people helping them that it's fine. And it was the first time that I was like, man, like this is your job. You're in charge of all of these people and you have a decision to make. And you know, making that decision that no matter what, you can't please everyone. You just know it going in, no matter right, what. Right. That's hard to swallow. So my, my favorite moment of, of our work in 2020, I think was the, toward the conclusion of the year, that holiday party was really great. It was a great idea you had, Tiffany. And um, of course we did it, we did it on Remo. Um, why it was my favorite moment of 2020 is that it was everything that we worked on from March forward. And this, this terrible thing that's happening to all of us, to our planet, to all the people, to our country with this pandemic has created new opportunities uh, for good things. Like we never had a holiday party before. Well, we did, but it was like, we'd invite, we'd have it here near IEI world headquarters in Northport on Long Island. And we'd invite the couple of superintendents who were within driving distance, right? That was it. And our, and our staff who last year was just Tiffany and me. Um, so (laughs) it was a small affair. We'd had dinner and had a nice time, but, um, now we had a really meaningful holiday gathering that really Tiffany and Sarah put together and, um, it, we raised $7,500 for, for charity. And it was basically, we funneled the money from our partners who came to the thing and we donated the funds to the charities of choice of, of our superintendent members who came and, um, in their names. And they all got to get up and speak in a way that, again, we could not do a year ago, but now that we have a way of gathering people virtually that, that people buy into, that's not just a Zoom call, but that's a real meeting, a real real networking, but also just an opportunity to get together and be together, We that happened. And now that's probably something we're going to do every year. And it's something that we couldn't conceive of. We would never have come up with it a year ago. So that was my favorite moment. And it was really brought to us by you guys. So thank you. Thank you. It, it was very, very, very cool ending to such a crazy year to see so many of our folks join us. And yeah. you know, it's tough. It's tough. Um, you know, our folks are working 100 hours a week and to be able to give us the time to come to this and tell us about the charity that they donated to was very, very moving. And, and here are some of the stories as to why the funds were going to each different charity was was a very cool thing. Yeah. My least favorite moment of my two least favorite moments of IEI 2020 were a having to miss the Illinois event and be in a quarantine cabin and do it digitally, but you guys did awesome. And then my second least favorite moment was when I um, blew the lead in ax throwing um, with Megan out in Washington and let Katie Lash from Indiana um, Wait, score I an was absolute tear. And also. Sarah. Yeah, right. These guys went on a tear and caught up and beat us in axe throwing. I was, we were up by like 50 points and I just couldn't, I couldn't hit a bullseye for my life for the last five minutes. 
my shoulder's still sore from that. <laughs> um, for those listening, yes, we had an axe throwing competition at the IEI retreat in in uh, Washington, in Clay Allen, Washington. It was really something else. All right, um, what uh, what are you looking forward to about about this coming year? You know, we've got two cool events planned, but what do you you know what 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 do you all think is going to be um, you know really looks exciting and something we're looking forward to for for this coming calendar year? Um, for me, I think just the fact that we've done, we've everything that we're about to do, these hybrid events and the technology, which is always sort of a, you know, tricky, challenging piece, we've done it. So any everything kind of seems in terms of the back end, kind of easy um, for preparation and getting people there. We've done the hard heavy lift. Um, so I'm looking forward to a little bit um, more time visiting with our members and getting to participate in some of these events rather than figuring out how to set up the event. Um, also, just also, Sarah, we figured out that all that time we spent at these events, plugging in cables and whatnot, basically to have a, a monitor that broadcasts the, the meeting to the people who are sitting in that room. Everybody just went, you know, spread to the four winds anyway. People went to their rooms to outside, whatever. So we no longer have to spend all that time plugging in all those stupid cables that we trip over. We'll just okay. put them all on their laptops. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, so I think just not having the stress of that and being able to really enjoy um, and get to, to know people better. Also, since I'm still fairly new coming up on working with you all for a year, um, I know people better now. And so getting to actually sit and have authentic conversations rather than introductory conversations. Um, so I'm excited about that for next two events, especially. Yeah, me too. Tiffany. I'm very much looking forward to seeing folks that I have not been able to see. Um, I, like you had to miss the Illinois event. I had to miss, Sarah and I both had to miss the New York event. Uh, I spent eight years of my life living in New York and haven't seen friends and family there for a year almost at this point. Uh, it was one of the hardest parts of my career missing an event and having to do so virtually. Uh, as While you're running it. <laughs> my lovely hot, hot mic moment. Um, very frustrating to be not there and not be able to do, you know, what I do, not be able to do my job and be able to help people. I'm very much looking forward to seeing folks that I haven't seen. And, you know, kind of like Sarah said, I, I haven't gotten to spend a lot of time really talking to folks. Uh, I have to say, though, there's a couple things about the, the smaller events and doing those. Something about cooking dinner for our folks, not something we ever thought would happen, was was very cool. So I'm hoping that in the in the coming year and even moving forward, we can kind of merge some of the things that we did do during COVID and during the pandemic and sort of push them into what we do on a normal non-COVID basis. Yeah, so so Tiffany and Sarah had to miss the New York event because of the strict quarantine, quarantine restrictions. So I was the only one of the three of us who could go there because I live here. And there were, there were partners who had to miss or had to switch to virtual because of the quarantine. They couldn't travel into New York. Um, so that's why we, we missed you guys there. And then I missed the one in Illinois where you guys rented a huge cabin and Tiffany cooked for everybody, which I'm bummed about. Um, and that, that is a real thing that happened. So instead of, uh, you know, the hotel buffet, it was, um, it was Tiffany, you know, cafe Tiffany. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the smaller events are not ideal and they create more, you know, an event creates the same work, whether it's small or big for us. Um, so it's, it's, it would be tough to do that every year, but it was really neat to have those, that, that kind of small feeling. And I think by having two events this spring, we'll be able to, it'll still have more of a kind of smaller feel. I'm looking forward to when people get that vaccine in their arms. And like you said, we can really, um, you know, get, we can be sure that when, when people tell us, that they're coming, we can know that they're definitely coming. Then we can look forward to seeing them because the, you know our our members are not people who who uh, who welch on commitments. These are not people who back out of things lightly. And um, you know, I've had to see so many people feel really bad telling us that they can't come, but it just does not make sense. You know, I can't leave the community right now, and makes we we get it. Um, but I think by by the time we get to Broadmoor in April, and certainly by the time we get to the summer at Biltmore. I think people are going to be able to plan their lives again because most of them, hopefully by that point, will have been vaccinated. Educators are next in line, I think, in the next wave of vaccines. So I'm uh, I'm hoping folks will be able to plan their lives a little better, but we're going to have to still be 
rigorous about all the protocols because surely not everyone, you know, we have a lot of young and healthy folks who come to our events and um, they're going to be last in line for that vaccine. So we want to make sure to uh, continue to protect them. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to when we can, like, I know I'm going to see so-and-so at this event and I look forward to it because this is a, we're, we're about people. That's what we're about. And so uh, can't wait to see more more people this year. So I'm um, looking forward to another year working with you guys. Sarah's second year with us. And this will be, Tiffany, you're, you're going to, in May, we'll be starting your fourth year? Yep. Wow. It's a long time. It is. It is. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, this is great. Anybody else have anything you want to say to the to the vast talk soups and CEOs audience? I definitely do. I am looking forward to one thing that slipped my mind. Uh, we have a lot of new folks. Mm-hmm joining us yeah uh, new, new partners states. and lots of new districts new states it's super exciting every time we get somebody from a new state it's really exciting because then they can take back and share with the folks there what we're what we're really doing and what we're about and that's amazing looking forward to working with some new friends yeah and i'll say i'm looking forward to the to the change in um program that we're doing in february i think having a focus on coaching from some really um from some veteran battle-tested super, you know, former superintendents working with folks and helping them, you know, reflect and think through what they're doing, where they're headed. That's going to be a very different kind of program than we've had before. And then um, then in spring, we'll get back to our normal program of sort of breaking down all the challenges and listening to each other's solutions. So um, yeah, it's gonna be a fun, fun spring for sure. Um, in terms of like self-care uh, for the new year, I just want to give a shout out that we have the IEI family hashtag on Peloton. So I know many of our members are on there. That's actually why Doug and I purchased one is because everyone was talking about it and we were jealous. So we had FOMO yeah. and went out and got Peloton and <laughs> Tiffany has a treadmill. So we're trying to bring in the new year with being a little more we're, healthy. We're fully subsumed into the cult, you and me. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It is a cult, but um, I know Susan Enfield and Andy Crozier were the ones that kind of locked it in for me because how excited they were about their bikes. So and PJ, PJ Capozzi also shout oh, out. Yeah, he puts his stuff on Twitter a lot. It's cool. He puts everything on Twitter, but he, um, <laughs> but I always see him because I my workout hour is six to seven, which is five to six central, and he's always coming on uh, for his is around six too. So I always see him like I'm I'm leaving and he's coming in. So in the for those who don't use Peloton, you can like high five each other. So I always try to shoot him a high five. So cool. it's a fun little connection we have and it's a healthy one too. I think it's pretty cool. Like Sarah was saying, you know, I have a treadmill, um, I have lupus, so I can't use the bike as well as you guys can. So it's another way, you know, if members don't have a Peloton and they do have a treadmill you can link up with, <clears throat> with one of us and, uh, watch the, you know, watch everything. It, it's really cool. It's really cool. Sarah's got me um, coming up hooked into everything so I can do classes as well on my treadmill. Nice. So yeah, everybody see, can join. Everyone's in. Yep. The 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 community that uh, works out together stays together a long time is is what I hope happens. So, all right, uh, good. Twenty twenty one is going to be a healthy, fun year. Um, thank you guys for all the work you do. Thanks for coming on, and uh, let's go get them. Thank you. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to Talk Soups and CEOs. Today, we're really, we're talking CEOs today. Um, got three really good friends here with us. Jess Gartner from All of You. Hi, Jess. Hey, Doug. Good to see you. Um, Bear Jackian from ClassLink. Hello, hello. Good to see you. And uh, holding down the West Coast, Jeff Patterson from Gaggle. How are you, Jeff? Hey, Doug. Hey, everybody. Great to see you. Good to see all you guys. Um, we, uh, I actually got during the holidays. I actually took a Zoom break for a week. It was like it's. I'm, I'm almost like happy to be back on Zoom now, right? Um, <laughs> I was pretty tired of it before. So um, I just wanted to get together some some good friends of ours. We're really excited to uh, Classlink, all of you, and Gaggle are often part of or almost always part of of IEI events and have been since we got going. And we. we can't say how much we appreciate your partnership and your leadership in our industry. Um, so I just wanted to get some friends together to talk through what we just went through in, in 2020 and talk about where we're headed. So um, we're just going to have a quick round robin today and do a little reflecting and sharing and everybody feel free to jump in and ask each other questions if you like. I'm um, just, just here to 
just here to MC a little bit. But um, let's start off with um, Berge. What uh, the question for everybody, and I'm going to pick Berge first, is what do you think you did really well uh, in 2020? Either you personally or, or you, Classlink. Classlink, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of harder for me because I tend to be the person who is, I always have this metaphor that I use as a leader. Your, your job is to be this human flashlight, putting light on dark, challenging, difficult situations and make them better. The parts that we do real well uh, is not an area that I tend to and maybe it's just my personality. <laughs> it's not an area where I tend to dwell a lot. I'm always the one like, but look at this area. We're not doing as well as we should. Uh, so this was like outside of my comfort zone to talk about what we did real well. I guess if I had to say, uh, if I had to struggle through what we did well, I would think uh, I'm grateful that uh, a lot of, well, everybody on our team really rose to the challenge to help the industry and a time of extreme change. Uh, I know we, as a company, built out some new functionality in our products. These kinds of things, by the way, are not remarkable. I think every, every good ed tech company can talk about these same things. Uh, so we added a, uh, some particular new functionalities into our product that were especially helpful uh, during this uh, rapid switch to remote learning. So I was pleased about that. Uh, I think there's one thing that we helped as a, sort of a collective as an industry, and that was that remote learning rubric that we helped create uh, that helped leaders uh, challenge them, their own organization, school leaders, by having a template of how do you go about developing remote learning plans and the development of that rubric to help guide the development of those plans, I think was, uh, was useful to a lot of school leaders. So I think it I think I, those are my three. I think as a team, we rose to the occasion. I think we built out some special functionality that was super helpful uh, at the moment. And I think that uh, rubric that we helped create as an industry was useful to educational leaders. Great, thanks. That? Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Bears. Okay. Um, Jeff, how about you? So I'm gonna echo something Bears just said. People think that we as entrepreneurs are these positive, optimistic people that's not really how it is. We, we've got these huge <laughs> negative things that drive us, right? <laughs> right? It's like, I mean, yes, I, 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 uh, I, right. I'm I think it over We're like bitter, things. angry people, right? Yes, we're bitter, we're bitter, angry, angry people angry, there, right? right? <laughs> um, I, I read Steve Jobs' biography and, and he was just, you know, they said, oh, he was prickly, right? That was his word for like, he's like, you know, the way we are. So anyway, I wanted to echo that. Um, here are the things that I think that, that we did well, right? So one was scaling. When all the kids went home, we suddenly had 300% more email traffic coming through, just like overnight. And like, it, my tech team really struggled to stay on top of it. They did, but it, it, um, it was really concerning. Um, one of the other things that prior to COVID, right? We had about 100, 110 employees, um, about 45 worked in an office. The others all worked from home and always have. Um, and my CFO was trying to get us to close the office years ago and say, no, yeah, they can work from home. We let them work from home. We had, they had to work from home. They did great. I was wrong. We should have done it years ago, right? So that, you know, that working from home thing really worked well for so many of our staff that I wasn't sure it was going to work for. I think there's something to be lost from that, right? Our, our, our culture, we're, we're sort of living on borrowed culture in some ways because we haven't been together, but working from home worked well. Um, I think a lot of people in the industry, me included, came together to help those who lost their jobs find jobs, right? And sort of come together and support each other. Those are the things that I saw work well. Yeah, and I, I wanna say thank you for what you have, your leadership on that. Um, LinkedIn has been a very interesting place the last nine months, I've seen the thing take off and sort of relevance in my own work. But what you've been doing out there and, and elsewhere to just spread the word around jobs has been really good stuff. So thanks. Jess, what about you guys? Yeah, 2020 was such a difficult year to be a leader of anything. Um, and there were a lot of tough decisions to be made 
regardless of what you were doing. We certainly weren't exempt from that. And I read something this morning, actually. Uh, I think this is a quote from Brian Chesky, who's the CEO of Airbnb. He said, when you're faced with a, a tough decision, you can either make a business decision, which is defined as the best thing for the business, or you can make a principal decision, which is a decision that you would, you would stand by and, and uphold your principles regardless of the outcome or the impact on the business. And I thought that was a really interesting framing um, of, of how to think about some of the decisions that, that had to be made this year in terms of downsizing or reducing staff or changing course or having, you know, pricing discussions with customers who were struggling with deficits, whatever it was, there were so many hard decisions and discussions to be had this last year. And I, I hope, and I like to believe that we made principled decisions last year that we felt good about in our consciences, regardless of, of how it impacted bottom line or, or the business. And, and it, this is a little bit of a paradox because uh, obviously, you know, people's livelihood depends on the business's survival too. So some of it has to come down to protecting that at a, at a larger scale. Um, but I like to think that whenever we had the opportunity to prioritize our, our people and lead with our principles and act with compassion, we, we chose to do that. And there's a lot of things in that, in that category that I'm proud of from last year. And, um, I, I think we certainly saw a lot of examples of, employees and partners and customers being treated with really callous behavior last year. People sort of got backed into a corner and behaved badly and, and treated people with very little dignity and respect. I mean, I, I heard stories on podcasts of people who had worked for companies for 20 years and were basically told in a group Zoom meeting, like, thank you, goodbye. And that was just so difficult for me to hear. I, I just don't know how you can treat people like that. And I know that a lot of people were on the bad end of discussions like that this year. And um, I think it is, it, it is to the benefit of everyone in our society if leaders can prioritize and lead with their principles and compassion and really lead with empathy and I think we also saw a lot of people do that last year, and I hope we see more of that. Thanks, Jess. That's uh, that's that's quite a statement, I think. Because um, yeah, it's uh, people have had to people have had to play a long game. I think this in 2020, and frankly, a lot of the a lot of the folks I've met in my I don't know how long I've been doing this 15, 20 years in the industry. There's a lot of short game thinking, I think, because everyone's kind of chasing a a big big multiple on an exit. So, you know, I, I only want to talk to big districts because I'm going to sell them bazillion dollar deals. And, um, you know, I was glad to see people sort of play the long game this year, which seems like you guys clearly did. And uh, Megan Harney just joined us from Midas. So glad you're here, Megan. You can jump right in. We're, um, we're all, everyone just shared um, something that they think that either they personally as a leader or that their company did really well in this crazy challenging year. So put you on the spot. What you got? Hope you're muted. Have to unmute. Well, one thing one thing that I have not learned this year is how to unmute myself on Zoom meetings. Um, <laughs> but I, I apologize. For you got a few more it. months to practice, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do right. So uh, so all all is all is not lost. Anyhow, um, Jess, I just heard the, the tail end of yours, and I I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I I think yeah, we didn't cut anybody. We didn't cut any benefits. We hunkered down and we tried to work with our district partners to develop new things that uh, would help not only navigate the pandemic, but change things for the better after the pandemic is passed. Um, you know, we've been talking in education for the last 40 years about the desire to have tools that focus on mastery-based learning. And it seems like it's been a lot of talk and very little action and, you know, never waste a good disaster. <laughs> <laughs> got a disaster yeah. here um 
it's it's bad. It's terrible. People are suffering, but let's not just compound it. Let's figure out how to find something good in it. And I think that we've we've worked hard to do that, but well, supporting our people. So. Yeah. Uh, and for for us and for me, I'll say that uh, the thing I I think I learned and and did well was I stopped trying to spreadsheet my way out of trouble, and which is you know that was always sort of the 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 thing to grow on with all of my managers throughout my career. You know when I still had bosses, um, it was you know like be more analytical, try to, so I've like taken that advice to heart to try to like always come up with a plan and have contingency plans and all that. And I was trying to spreadsheet my way out of this thing. And I, um, my amazing executive coach, Leslie Kerner just said, you know, you might want to start going with your gut a little bit. And cause this is a crazy time and just sort of listen to people and, um, and, and make some bets. And, and my, my friend, Jeff Patterson as well said the same thing to me. He said, why don't you try having an event? Um, and I thought he was crazy when he first said it and my wife thought he was crazier, but, uh, turned out that we were able to, you know, when you got someone like Tiffany working for you, who you ask her to figure out how to do something safely with the right protocol, she goes and figures it out. So, um, and I think the other thing we did well was, you know, we, we knew when to hit the gas. And then when we got back from our round of those fall events, uh, we just sort of, we all took the foot off the gas a little bit here, which. I think we needed more than we realized. And, um, you know, now we're ready to rock and roll for 21. So um, pretty crazy year. It's going to be an interesting story to tell for all of us. So It was almost like you hit the gas when the freeway cleared. And then when it, you know, narrowed in the fall here, you slowed down. That's the right way to get places. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with the spring. But um, so what's something that you that you wish you'd done better in in 2020. And uh, let's go. Uh, well, Megan, you knew I'm not going to pick on you. Let's go to Jess. Sure. Um, so I, I definitely tried to spreadsheet my way out of it at first too. I, I think on March 15th, I, I created this master document that had like 13 contingency plans. <laughs> and um, I am not I am not good at sitting on the sidelines of things. I, I like to be a helper. I like to be in the action. I'm, I'm not good at just sitting watching or feeling helpless. So I was really eager to find any way to be helpful to our districts in this crisis. And one of the solutions we came up with was to sprint on this product to do some emergency requisitions for products for home learning or, or distance learning um, to sort of streamline the requisition process for connecting principals um, and district offices around emergency purchasing needs. And we, we sprinted on this product for about six weeks and we offered it for free. Uh, and it ultimately kind of fell flat. And if I had to go back with the information I had now, I might have just taken a couple beats and tried to be a little bit patient and use that time to just double down and invest quietly behind the scenes on, on some of our other products. I, I can't say I feel like that time is wasted because it it honestly was a good morale boost for the team in the short period of time. And there's there's a lot of technical work we did there that helped inform stuff that we built later in the year. So, you know, ultimately, maybe I could have saved four weeks of of development on something. Um, but I, I think it it was a little bit of a lesson in in maybe just taking a beat to really see how things are going to go without, you know, immediately just wanting to jump into action and have a solution, any solution to problems. Um, but 2020 is, is so hard. I think, you know, the phrase like hindsight is 2020 is, is going to be cursed forever because <laughs> of course, with the information we had at the end of the year, it's so easy to go back and think of all the things we could have done differently. But, you know, the reality is that in March, nobody knew anything. We had no idea how long this was going to go on, how severe this was going to be, how extensive lockdowns or closures would be. I think everybody was trying to do 
the best they could with the information they had. And, and I, I know that, you know, as version and Jeff pointed out, uh, founders and CEOs, contrary to popular belief, tend to beat themselves up and they're and the most of anyone. And we're super critical of ourselves, but I, I hope that as a category, everyone can just be a little bit gentle on themselves with decisions that were made in 2020, because you know, as has been said a million times, they, they were certainly unprecedented times and everybody was just trying to do the best they could with the information they had. And people should be proud if, if, they, if they acted in a way that, that was true to who they are and, and their mission. Great advice. Great advice, Jess. Jeff. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm, I'll, I should have had more empathy for my staff. Uh, let me explain what I mean. So look, I'm a risk taker. And Doug knows this. I have no fear, right? And so I sort of expect that from those around me. I'm, I'm not very forgiving, Doug. Sorry. Um, but um, like even there's a saying that I have. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right? That's just how I live my life. And my staff, they're not me, right? So when COVID started coming down, they had these grand fears, right? I mean, you would have thought it was the zombie apocalypse, right? And so I did not relate to them. I should have taken their beliefs as, as facts because those were how people perceive the world is their fact, and I need to accept that better and be more understanding and empathetic. Um, you know, probably a little too late in the process. It was probably a month in before I started calling a bunch of my employees to check and say, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How, how's working from home for you? Sort of asking those questions and reassuring them. Um, I also should have gotten on sort of company-wide Zoom staff meetings much earlier in the process, right? And, and been giving, you know, an update every two weeks, every four weeks. There wasn't anything to really update on, but they just need to see us as leaders and seeing us be calm and seeing us being in control. Um, we had a staff meeting where um, at the end of the staff meeting, this is probably in, in April, someone said, what about, you know, what, you know, um, you know, Stephanopoulos said, right? And I said, well, I don't even know who's, you know, I don't know what Stephanopoulos said, so it's really not important to me. Well. I'm using that name, but that was the governor of Illinois. And, and, and half of my employees are in Illinois. Like he had made some announcement that the afternoon before, and I didn't know. And I just was, you know, just not. Governor Pritzker, we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so that's, I stepped in it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I could have prepared more. I could have been more empathetic. I like that the, your, your go-to response was, I don't care what that guy said. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Um, Megan. Oh, um, self-care comes to mind. I think I, I didn't really put in, I, I tried and <laughs> people told me to, and, and I made an effort, but not as much as I should have. And um, as I, I think I'm pretty good at holding everybody else up and taking on all the extra work that needs to be done. And I rose to the occasion, but as, as you start to feel like there's more to do, there's more to do. I'll just stay up another hour and do this thing. Um, I think I started to feel it personally and, um, you know, that I can't think of anything obvious where people said like, gee, you let us down, but I'm, I'm sure I did. You know, I'm sure when, when I'm not at my best, I can't, um, take care of other people as well. And so I probably didn't. You know, there are probably things that I missed that I don't know I missed. <laughs> right. So that's, uh, that's, that comes to mind. Okay, great. Bearish, anything you think you would like to have redone? Yeah, so uh, I agree with a, a lot of what everyone has already shared. I think our organization at ClassLink is like so many others uh, that we kept iterating with uh, so many things, uh, including how we meet, what we talk about, uh, reshuffling priorities. One of the things that I felt early on, and I think we eventually moved out of it, was maybe a, a frustration 
with what I thought was a bit of a miss. Uh, and I don't think it was necessarily unique to ClassLink. Uh, but by the time March rolled in and uh, we started having statewide shutdowns and began tracking that, I felt that it, it was, it seemed like it was all new territory for everyone as it legitimately was. Yet there was clear examples on how that was playing out in other parts of the world. And I just felt like we weren't listening. We were caught up in so many other things uh, that we didn't see this exact thing was already happening. It was even already happening in February when we were still going business as usual. And there was a clear indicator that uh, it's a whole new game in other parts of the world. And yet uh, we did not listen or watch and say, you know, that could happen here. Let's begin laying out, you know, action plans or think about, um, think about how we might operate. And I think that's not just, you know, necessarily class link, which I felt that way. Uh, we were traveling internationally and I was seeing some of this and somehow oblivious to the idea that that could happen in the U.S. So, yes, I agree yeah. that all of our organizations need to sort of collectively reset uh, priorities and thoughtful ways, uh, how we work with people, how we uh, rise to the occasion for our customers. But it's like, gosh, we could have seen this coming. Yeah. Well, that was something that really ate away at me for a long time until I finally felt like, okay, we're, we're now in control of our destiny a little bit more. It's funny you say that, Berge. Uh, I think on March 4th, I was at a dinner in Santa Monica with probably 20 founders and, and, and some of these founders have, you know, a hundred million dollars in funding with some of the most well-connected VCs on the planet. And the host asked everyone to go around and say, what global event did they think would happen in the next 10 years that would essentially stop the global economy in its tracks. And everyone went, it was the most morbid dinner conversation I've ever had in my life, but everyone went around and not one person said COVID, not one person. I don't even think pandemic came up. And this was March 4th and within 10 days, the country was shut down. Wow. And I just keep thinking about that dinner and how oblivious we all were. What did you think it was going to be? What was your response? <laughs> I honestly can't even remember at this point. Yeah. But I just, I keep thinking about how oblivious we all were. I mean, at that point we were doing like the elbow taps instead of handshakes and still yeah. it was just not even in the realm of comprehension that this would be as big of a global event as it turned out to be in a matter of weeks. That's the, around the same, that? sorry, March 4th. That was March 4th. Did... Which is, that, that was the last event I went to. It was the New York state superintendent conference. Last event I went to where people were still not sure about, are we shaking hands? And I, I had started elbow tapping or doing whatever, I guess that was, yeah, it was elbow tapping. And some people were like, what's, what why are you doing that? And then others were like, oh, yeah, right. We got to do that thing now. Whereas now, I mean, you watch a show or a movie and you see people shaking hands. You're like, oh, my God, what's sociopaths? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterical. Over the holiday break, we were watching this. Uh, I don't know. We were at families and they were they put on this program about how like the real estate agents that go and sell these multi-million dollar homes in New York and LA or something. And you're seeing these parties. And I'm like, this cannot have possibly been 2020. <laughs> and then of course, at the end is like, this was filmed in 2019. And I go, wow, look how foreign that is. People getting together. Jeff, are you still hugging? Touching. <laughs> I, I said, I have no fear. Um, I'll often say, look, if you're hugging, I'm hugging. Um, there you go. <laughs> My, my father called me the, the Chatsworth super spreader. Um, yeah, that's that said, I, it hasn't happened yet. 
Well, it's just, it's funny because we all know each other from years of, you know, well, well before IEI, years of going to social events where we did business and, um, you know, the, how we, I don't think, I don't know that we're ever going to go back to like universally, everybody just starts shaking hands. And maybe there's some wisdom in how Asian cultures do it, right? Uh, particularly Japanese with bowing, right? I mean, it's I, think, I think we need to outlaw blowing out birthday candles too. <laughs> yeah, that one, right? <laughs> I think we're going to go back to hugging. Nah, we're going to go back to hugging. Hugging, yeah, but shaking hands with everybody? I don't don't know. Yeah, (laughs) I think we're culturally wired to do it. Plus, when we get this vaccine, everybody's going to feel like superheroes, right? Everybody gets a vaccine, you're going to find, oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to shake hands because otherwise, Doug, how will you know I don't have a weapon in my right hand? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the worry. Um, Jeff, we're gonna go back to kissing like we always did. Can't wait. Let's. Uh, let, I want to. I want to talk about the industry really quick. Um, I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts about you know what. What do we think? Let's let's put it into into one uh, as we go round robin. One response. What do you think our industry did really well in in 2020 in response to this? And then what do you, what are what's something that you think we could do better, the collective we as an industry could do better, um, either to put it in context of supporting our district partners or um, just you know supporting each other. But uh, I'd love to hear hear your thoughts on that. And maybe, um, maybe Megan, you can take the first step. Sure. Um, I don't know if, if, the, if industry includes districts as well, I would, I would sure. like to take education as a whole and say- Landscape. I think the primary success of this whole thing was probably feeding kids. Like, I think that was the one thing that Mm. people did well was they fed people, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is both good and bad. It's great that people were primarily able to have their basic needs met, but I was struck in talking to a lot, the overwhelming majority of our district partners that they were not thinking about instruction largely. I mean, not, in any sense of innovation, certainly. It was how do we get kids on Zoom? How do we hand out hotspots? I mean, we've been talking with district partners where like, oh yeah, well, we really wanted to do this, you know, data work with you that if we were able to analyze this data, like we might find something that would actually help us help kids. But gosh, our whole tech department is like handing out hotspots. That's all we can do. Hotspots, plexiglass and lunches. And so to me, I I think, you know, I'm answering both questions. What did we do well? What did we fail at? We fed people and failed at everything else, Um, which I know feels a little bit dire, but it's, it's, it's good that we, you know, we didn't fall down on people's basic needs, but I think we could have done a lot better in a lot of other areas. Well, how about contact tracing? These districts had to figure out how to contact trace. And I mean, I'm, I'm not denying it was an enormous challenge and it's too bad that that was all people had the bandwidth to do contact yeah. tracing and food and logistics and transportation is that those things wound up taking precedence over everything else. Yeah. But the virus spread rate appears to be low to, to non-existent at school, which is incredible, right. you know? Right. So take success where you can have it, but, um, yeah. If you're looking at, yeah. How about you, Jeff? So look, it's such a big industry, right? It's, it's hard to say what collectively anyone did well. I think Megan hit it for the districts on, on the head, right? You know, the feeding and the hotspots and just the caring for the kids. Um, but for the ed tech industry, it's really hard for me to answer that. You know, I do have a statement that I share a lot surviving is thriving in 2020, right? Just surviving is doing great, right? Whether you're a company or an individual. So that's kind of where I, I um, there's something called the, I think the general McCaffrey paradox, who is a, he was a general or he was a, was an Air Force general who got shot down in Vietnam and spent like 10 years in, in the Hilton Hilton. He said, look, when bad things happen to you, you can't say, well, we'll be better by this date or better by that. Day. You say, look, these are bad things and I'm going to get through it. And I think that's, you know, I think we're on the tail end of that, but that's the way I try to look at it when stuff like this happens. Okay, thanks, Jess. 
any reflections on the industry, something we did well or something we should do better? Yeah, I I mean, superintendents, I think, really stepped up as total superheroes uh, in a le- on the leadership front throughout all of this. Um, unfortunately, that was largely by necessity because they were completely abandoned by state and federal officials and any sort of guidance or leadership that might have come from there, um, not the least of which is a lack of resources to to deal with what they were confronting. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's absolutely insane that we've had superintendents out there negotiating with Comcast and Verizon to try to get entire cities equipped with, you know, hundreds Crazy. of thousands of households on basic internet. I just don't understand how that continues to fall on the shoulders of school district leaders, but it does. And they handled it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, to, to Megan's point, if we, if we look at this from a Maslow's hierarchy perspective, basics, right. We made, we, they focused on making sure kids were safe and fed and they held society together in many ways. Um, No thanks to state and federal leadership um, if anything, I, I wish that superintendents had just realized sooner that they were not going to get any help and had just banded together at the state level and nationally and just said, you know what, we're going to figure this out, um, which I think, you know, they got to that point around the end of the summer. But um, in the absence of, of strong leadership, they really stepped up as some of the strongest leaders in the country um, over the past year. And it's, it's commendable. And, and unfortunately, the downside of that is I think we burned out a lot of great superintendents last year. And I think we, and we are a real leadership crisis on our hands over the next couple of years. I think we have preempted a lot of premature retirements because superintendents are burned out and exhausted from holding up communities over the past year. And that is going to be something we have to reckon with as, as society. Which is why our little quick segue to a plug, but why our February event is all about our members and and about like their self-care and helping them sort of survive this year, because it's been, it's been extraordinarily tough on folks and, but I never want to hear again that um, district leaders are not innovative. I never want to hear again that it's the districts, you know, districts are too backwards to adopt all this technology. It's, you know, um, Larry Berger said many years ago when he was getting why this generation now amplify off the ground, you know, we shouldn't always assume that it's that the schools are bad at technology. Maybe the technology is bad at schools. And I think we saw some, some examples of, of that and um, but it's been nothing short of remarkable to watch these folks figure out how to do all this new stuff that they were never trained to do in order to keep the kids safe and um, you know I think we you know I'm gonna jump in and go before you bears um, because I'm talking right now but um, that that's my big my big uh, thing that I want the industry to do better is listen and learn from what some of these district leaders just pulled off because the places where it's, it's true. Some of them, they, they just got the basic needs met. They got the kids fed. That's awesome. They got the contact tracing done. But some of them uh, really pulled some instructional miracles. And so I hope our industry will look at those, those, those success stories and then start to build their tools around that instead of around their own ideas or their investors' ideas about what kids need. Um, and I, it also, it, it makes me think, with all the kind of big, heavy venture capital that goes into a lot of these ed tech companies, I'm amazed that there hasn't been able to be more influence uh, put on the broadband providers, right? Because these are some heavy hitting folks and that there has to be crossover and overlap. And some of these people have big investments in funds that have investments in these companies. And they also must sit on these boards of, of Comcast and Optimum and Charter and all these other cable networks, AT&T. I'm amazed there hasn't been someone going, hey, you know, even just based on like a a desire for profit, if you create a a stronger broadband network for kids to access technology, uh, the investments that we all have together will do better, 
right? I'm, it, and maybe it's just not enough money for anyone to care about, but um, I've, I sort of hope that maybe the private sector, because I think counting on government public sector folks to solve a big problem can be, um, you know, um, oh. a, a fool's errand, but I really, would love Doug, to see- I- I'm, I'm sorry, ahead. I don't mean to interrupt your, yeah. um, I, th- I think you're, you're looking in the wrong direction for some hero to come because I, I think a lot of the problem is because of the private sector. We've done some work with CETA and I think everybody here is, is familiar with them and have continually heard that there are private providers, Comcast, you know, I, I don't know if Comcast specifically, but you know, private um, cable providers like them that have lobbied against municipal internet. Um, so where it's actually illegal in certain cities, I, I think Philadelphia possibly, Jeff, do you mm-hmm. remember? Uh, that um, that they, they can't actually do a municipal internet solution because it's illegal. And mm. that, that exists oh, in, so, in some number of cities. Um, I, don't, I don't have the facts at, at my fingertips, but I mean, they're working against us, they're not helping. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it is amazing why, right? I mean, do they not have any shared interest in, in that money? Apparently, it's more profitable for them to try to outlaw making internet a utility than it is to consider making the access broader and allowing other investments to ride on top of it. Frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bears, reflections, thoughts for, for our industry colleagues. For sure. And so, yeah, I have a question for you, Doug, actually. you You've sort of had uh, as much of a front row seat in chatting with superintendents, school leaders, um, perhaps more so than some of us on this call. What's been your sort of collective feedback from them as to what they thought? Oh, interesting. Yeah. How they self-reflect. Um, so what they want to see the industry do or what they think about themselves? Um, maybe their own performance, I guess. Yeah. Um, I would say that... Um, People have been uh, very much in this, the survival is thriving mindset. Um, but I, I would also say that, the, you know, that I think in general, there's been, a lot, there's been a lot of frustration that people are focused on the wrong stuff. People, and you, you can hear it, you know, we, we put a couple of the, the discussions from the fall retreats out on the podcast channel. If anyone wants to go listen to them, but you, you hear it come through in those discussions, frustration about, you know, focusing on the needs of the adults, frustration about um, really, I, I think I think a lot of folks, including me, but I'm not a superintendent, a lot of our superintendents went into this year thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to sort of wheel and deal and break down barriers that used to be in the way of doing things to help, you know, uh, level the playing field for kids who, who have traditionally been underserved by the schools can now be broken. We can just get rid of those barriers and we can spend more money on the kids who need more. Right. And that is incredibly hard to do, even even during a pandemic. Um, someone earlier said, don't don't let a disaster go to waste. That was you, Megan. And I think there's some sense that maybe we're letting the disaster go to waste. And um, and how do you how do you fix that? Or maybe it just takes time. Maybe it takes flipping over a board. Maybe it takes uh, more and more. I think that we've been talking that takes sort of leadership at state and federal levels to you know, and it comes down to basic things that we all take for granted about schools, but there was a lot of talk at our fall retreats about, we got to get away from the agrarian calendar. We're going to have a bunch of kids who are going to be way farther behind than others um, based on environmental situations or their ability to, to connect in um, and really engage in the online learning that happened. And so, um, you know, that's going to require us to think, you know, maybe it's, maybe the school day is no longer eight to two or eight to two thirty, right? That kind of stuff is really hard to change. And I think there's some frustration at, um, I think they thought they were gonna be able to make more changes on behalf of kids that have been harder to pull off. Um, but I, I would say that a lot of our folks feel very much like they left it all on the field and um, to use a sports metaphor, but you know that they, they put everything into this that they could and they focused on keeping kids safe and they've had you know, more or less success at keeping kids safe from the virus while they're going to do their care at school. And um, that's, that's a really good, uh, really good feeling for a lot of folks that they worked hard. And yeah, they just, but they, they're very much in survival mode this year and get through. And 
see where we are. But I, I do think thoughts are starting to turn toward next year might be more hopeful. Um, and there might be more interesting things that can happen. And that's, I'm excited to get together with these folks virtually and in person this spring and hear how the thoughts are coming together for, for summer. So nice. Yeah. All right. Um, we should, we should move toward wrapping up really quick round Robin. What's just uh, first thing off the top of your head, what's something really fun you're going to do once you get the vaccine and you feel safe bears. <laughs> something fun I'm going to do. Uh, yeah. Go outside, hug people, <laughs> go to a restaurant. <laughs> All these things that were sort of regular, uh, regular things. It might vacation, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's mine. Go back yeah. to the office. I, I went back to my office uh, not long ago. Uh, we're yeah. doing some work uh, there now that uh, no one's around. It's easier to do. And I was reminded, what a fun place to be. There's yeah. free people that come together who sort of all connected towards a mission. So I thought, oh, well, it'd be fun to come back here. Nice. Megan. So real boring stuff as, as any measure <laughs> of last year. Well, uh, definitely the boring stuff that Barish just uh, mentioned, which doesn't seem so boring anymore. Uh, but, but also uh, my mom's 70th birthday was during the COVID year and I had had uh, what I thought was a pretty cool trip plan that I had to cancel. She doesn't know about it yet. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to pull it off for her 71st birthday. She's a big fan of the Northern Lights, and I wanted to get her out to cool. Norway um, to see them. So she's never really, never really seen a good, you know, Northern Lights thing. So that's the plan, and fingers crossed that by the end of you know 2021, November-ish, that that can happen. Nice, Jess. I also had a, a milestone birthday trip for my mom planned to France. Oh. So we're going to try to reschedule that, but I, I miss, I miss Southwest and Amtrak so much. <laughs> Isn't it sick? I do too. I mean, <laughs> Delta for me, but yeah, Jeff. So I, I I'm going to throw a giant crazy party for my staff where we're going to fly everybody into yeah. some location, uh, do some weird, unusual stuff, and then go to a dive bar and sing karaoke. Yes. <laughs> Outstanding. Yes. Can we get invites to that, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, which ISTE was that? I think I'm spelling another ISTE event. <laughs> the <That>. ISTE party. <laughs> Aside yeah, from... you, know, you know, singing is one of those things that's on the no-no list. <laughs> when we find out when we can finally sing again. That's right. Well, aside from uh, get a babysitter and go out to dinner with my wife, and also my daughter is desperate to travel. So she's like wanting to go all over the world. So we'll take care of those things. But I'm excited to go to somebody else's conference as we used to do all year, right? So I see you at other right. stuff that's not our thing. I'm, I'm excited to go to someone else's conference and hang out with all you guys and uh, not have to do any work, just kind of get to talk to people. Not that that's not work, but you know what I mean? That's what uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to just getting out and seeing everybody. And I do miss seeing everybody. So, um, well, I appreciate all your time. Thank you for being on here for this little kickoff to 21. This would be a good way to get the pod going for this year. And uh, we just, yeah, we appreciate all of you so much and all of your colleagues and your employees and all that. We just uh, really enjoy working with all you guys. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Doug. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're interested in learning more about what we're doing this spring, reach out at IEI underscore K12 on Twitter. Doug at Institute for Ed Innovation.com. We've got Las Vegas, February 25th, 28th. We have virtual opportunities available as part of that event. We are at the Broadmoor, Colorado Springs, April 18th to 20. Hope you will join us. Um, our superintendents are out there working hard as they get back to school this week and sending out a lot of love and support. And um, can't wait to see all of you guys when we can get together again. Take care. Oh,